Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to two spots. I want you to open up to Luke chapter 18 and put a marker in Isaiah chapter 9. Outside of our church for the last couple of weeks, we have been communicating the fact that what we'd be talking about this Christmas was awe and wonder. And the most simple way to describe awe and wonder is a childlike amazement. Did you know that God created each of us, whether you know Jesus personally yet or not, we were all created to have a childlike amazement as it relates to God and everything he created. I want to show you a moment in Luke chapter 18 where Jesus encounters some children and he makes a very profound statement, not just about those children, but about all of us. Luke 18 verse 15 says, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. We were all created to have childlike amazement in our relationship with God. But here's the problem. Familiarity has the power to ruin even the best of relationships. Before I married my wife, Holly, when I was trying to date her, uh, and she, she seemed like she was so far out of reach for someone like me, I was totally obsessed with her in a healthy way. I loved most everything about her. I adored her. I I wanted to be around her. I was in awe of her. I would notice certain things about her that that I just, that they would make me feel love on the inside. I was just overwhelmed by how awesome she was. But after being married for nearly 20 years, one of the things I've learned is the longer we walk in relationship with someone, the greater the temptation to become familiar with them. So familiar that we can even forget some of the amazing things we first and most loved about that person. If you have been walking with Jesus for a long time, this could be happening to you right now. There's a word for it, stale. It's just another way to say we've been with each other so long, we've gotten a little bit too comfortable, too familiar with one another. And one of the things I want to do with this message is I want to remind those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a a good amount of time that it's supposed to remain like it was in the beginning. And you may be here, you may have come with family this weekend, and you don't personally know Jesus yet, and that's okay, no problem at all. 
I want you to hear as I walk through this message some of the best things about Jesus and maybe help you see him in a way in which you've never seen him before. So this is for both crowds of people, but I want us all to try and make this commitment that as we walk through this message that we would try and adopt the posture of a six or seven-year-old little boy or little girl who thinks that the wise men brought baby Jordans to Jesus, okay? And here's why. Because to a child, the smallest of things is the biggest of deals. And that one sentence right there is one of the greatest keys to healthy, intimate relationship, not just with someone here on earth, but with the God of the universe, the creator of all things. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through four of the names prophetically given to Jesus hundreds of years before he was ever even born. And here's the first name. Wonderful. Wonderful. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder." And his name will be called Wonderful. Now, probably at least half of the translations that translate Isaiah 9 verse 6 do so by saying Wonderful Counselor. As though Wonderful is a word to describe the type of counselor Jesus will be and is. Okay? But here's what you need to know. Wonderful is one of his names. I'm not talking about like Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank, for those of you who like that. That's like an arrogant wonderful. Jesus is a totally different kind of wonderful than you have ever experienced from anyone else in your lifetime. Here's what the word wonder means. Incomprehensible. Jesus is full of incomprehensibility. Let me, let me help you understand that. When I, from time to time, am talking with people who don't yet know Jesus personally, and I am trying my best to describe Jesus in the best way I know how, here's a phrase I will typically hear from them. That sounds too good to be true. Okay, incidentally, for those of you who are disciples of Jesus Christ, anytime you're explaining Jesus to a friend or family member or someone who does not yet know Jesus personally and they say to you, that sounds too good to be true, let me encourage you, you're doing a good job explaining him. Because it seems like he is too good to be true. But the fact that he is wonderful, that his name is wonderful, doesn't mean he's too good to be true. Here's what it means. He is more incredible than you could ever wrap your mind around. He is wonderful. His name is wonderful. And here's one of the great parts about him being wonderful. That means he does wonderful things. Things that are almost borderline unexplainable, incomprehensible. Some of us might use the word miracles. That he does miraculous things. Rather than walk you through some of the miracles Jesus did during his time on the earth, I would rather help you understand what I believe to be the romantic why behind everything wonderful Jesus ever does. I'll explain it like this. When I was trying to woo my wife, okay, 
She was in a class well above me, you know, like I, I, nobody thought I could date, you know, no one thought I could marry a girl like that, let alone date a girl like that. And so I kind of implemented this plan to win her over, okay? Just, I was wooing her. And my plan involved getting her attention constantly. So if she would walk into the gym where I was playing, I would like flip a switch and it was time to get this girl's attention by doing something amazing. If she was in a class with me, I would speak up in the class to try and say something amazing to get her attention, okay? Everything I was doing was designed not to get the attention of everyone else in the room. It was designed to get her attention. Okay, let me give you a totally different way to see everything wonderful Jesus did while on the earth. You. You were his reason. He was scripting things in such a way that you merely reading them hundreds and hundreds of years later you would cause you to be so compelled to just look at him. Here's the most simple way to say it. I believe one of the biggest reasons Jesus did miracles on the earth was to get your attention. He was divinely saying, look at me. Look at me. Now, some who, who don't yet know Jesus personally, when they hear things like, Jesus has to be Lord of your life, immediately go to this place. Well, Jesus wants to control me. That, that's what he wants, and I don't want to be controlled. Okay, it's so much different than that. Jesus did not come to earth to control you. He came to this earth to captivate you. If, if Jesus came to this earth to control you, he would have come as a demanding dictator rather than a burping baby king miraculously born of a young virgin. And think about that for a minute. Not only does Jesus do wonderful things to get your attention, God does wonderful things to get your attention on his son Jesus, the virgin birth. Let's, let's just take a quick poll. How many of you personally know someone who was born of a virgin? None of us. There's only been one. Can we not step back and see that the God of the universe is holding up the most divine sign and saying, look at him. How about the star that night? Is that not another way the God of the universe was saying, look at him? How about the resurrection? After three days of being dead, God raised Christ from the dead Yet another way, the God of the universe is saying, look at him. You have never met anyone like Jesus in all of your life, and you never will. He is wonderful. And the motivation behind his doing wonders, I believe, is to get your gaze. He simply wants you to look in his direction. Here's the next name that I want to talk about. It's the name King. King, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born King, capital K, not lowercase k, 
the king, so not just the king of the Jews, but the king, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Okay. Oftentimes when we hear this term king, many of us think of power. That someone who is king has a lot of power. They're powerful. But I want to try and help you understand, I believe the reason not only Jesus is the king of all kings and Lord of lords, but the real reason he wants to be. Jesus is not a reluctant king, okay? He wants to be the king of all kings. And I think there's a really romantic why behind it. Again, it's you. Think about it like this. If after this service, you get into your car, you drive down the street, and there is a homeless person on the side of the road holding up a sign that says, I love Preston Morrison. What would you think? Well, some of you would kind of chuckle and go, well, that's different. Usually they're asking for funds. It's kind of odd that maybe Preston paid them to hold that sign up there. That's, that's different. That's, that's kind of odd. Well, what if after the service, you got on your phone, onto social media, and let's just say the most famous celebrity that you follow, that you kind of put in a class by themselves, gets on their social media and blows me up and says, I love Preston Morrison. Would you be more impressed than you were when you saw the sign from the homeless person? Yes or no? Yeah, don't say, well, they're equal. Let's be real, okay? Yes, all men are created equal. But we hold more in people we see more important in a different way. I'm just trying to prove a point. I'm not trying to convict anybody, okay? Let's just be real. Let's go a step further. What if the person you deem to be the most powerful person on the earth, whether it's a king, a queen, a president, or a CEO, took out a 30-second spot on every TV channel in the world at the same time? And in those 30 seconds, went on television and said, I love Preston Morrison. And here's why. Would you be impressed by that? Yes, you would. You know you'd be thinking, wow. I, I mean, I didn't know Preston was this important. I, I mean, when the homeless guy was carrying the sign, like that, that, I kind of expect that maybe, maybe Preston ministered to the guy. Okay, when the famous celebrity said they love Preston, like maybe they know one another from school, but the most powerful person on the earth, like I, I'm seeing Preston a little bit differently than I ever have before because if someone like that is saying, I love Preston Morrison, that must make Preston a lot more important than I understand. Okay, listen to me closely. You can already tell where I'm going. Jesus isn't just the most powerful person on the earth. He's the most powerful person in heaven and on earth. He is more powerful than anyone has ever been. And listen to me, he's not just a king, he's the king of all kings for all time. And here's why I believe he wants to be king so badly. Because when the king of all kings looks at you and says, I think you are the most amazing person in the history of humanity, it comes across differently than if he just would have come as a lowly homeless person holding a sign. But you know what's awesome? Scripture says Jesus did come in Philippians 2 as a lowly slave. He came as the famous celebrity who got everybody's attention. 
And he is the most powerful there ever will be. He's all of those things. Jesus is king of all kings. And one of the reasons is so that you would understand when the most important person on all the earth says to you, do you know how important you are to me? I adore you. I can't stop talking about you. It seems even more special coming from that king of kings than anybody else. And that's what he wants. He wants you to understand you are more special than you could ever wrap your mind around. Here's the third name, Emmanuel, one of my favorite names. Emmanuel, which simply means God with us. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Now think about this. What good would the love of Jesus be if all it ever did was talk about you? What if Jesus just took out TV spots and said how much he loved you, but he never wanted to come close to you? What good would that be? Well, think about it from a, a, a human perspective. What good would the love I have for my wife be if I stood on this stage and always bragged about her and said how awesome she was, but then I never wanted to go home to her? That love would be useless. Okay, here's what's awesome about Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel for Jesus reminds us of God's number one desire to be with us. And to fully understand that, you have to go all the way back to the beginning. And Genesis, the book of Genesis in scripture records this. Think about it. God was there from the beginning of mankind. Why? Because God created man. He created man. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the purpose of mankind is to have fellowship with the God of the universe. That's why God created you and me, is to have fellowship with God. But as we read in Genesis chapter three, Adam sinned and temporarily forfeited the benefits of Emmanuel, God with us. But you know what's awesome about our God? That within a couple of verses after Adam and Eve fall, God starts going to work to fix the problem. Don't you love that about God? We create a problem and immediately God starts going to work to fix it. That's what I'm talking about. Too many of us think that God wants to spank us. God goes to fix the problem I just created. And here he is in the garden walking with Adam and Eve and they screw things up in sin. And a couple verse, verses later, we don't see God in Genesis 3 yelling at Adam. He asks him a question, but he, he's not yelling at Adam. You know he's, who he starts getting firm with? The devil. Around verse 15 of Genesis 3, God says, listen, this is my prayer, paraphrase. He says to the devil, listen, I know you think you have created eternal separation between me and my favorite creation, man. But I want you to know, out of his seed, 
I am going to bring someone who literally crushes you. And then a couple verses after that, in Genesis 4, verse 1, Adam and Eve have Cain. And I just imagined God staring at the devil going, I got 4,000 years. You want to know what slow plan looks like? Snakey snake? I'm going to slowly crush you over the next 4,000 years. And then one will come and end this thing. He will conquer death hell in the grave, but I will name him Emmanuel so that my children know my heart. I am the God who wants to be with them. Now, you may be here and you're someone who doesn't know Jesus personally yet, but you know enough of the Bible because you you grew up in a a Christian family, and you came with them to church today. You didn't really want to, but you didn't want to make your mom, you know, upset. And so you're here reluctantly, and you're you're kind of the slightly antagonistic type, which I like. And you're sitting there thinking, wait a minute, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But Preston, there's one little problem. Jesus left us. He left. Okay, I already like you if that's what you're thinking. Because he did leave. And if that's you, I'm going to give you some homework. Get a Bible, even if you have to get online, and read John 14. And just see the way Jesus talks about you, going to prepare a place for you. That's extravagantly romantic talk. I love you so much, I'm going to prepare a special place for you. And he also says, I believe it's around verse 23 of John 14. He says, if you love me, the Father and I will make our home with you. That's an incredible thought. A couple verses earlier than that, Jesus says, if you believe in me, I will send the Holy Spirit to dwell on the inside of you. Now think about this for a second. You know, the only thing better than a God who is with us is a God who so badly wants to be with us, he doesn't settle for being around us. He says, I'm gonna go a million steps further than that. I'm coming inside of you to dwell within you. That's how obsessed with you I am. I never wanna leave you. Can you even wrap your mind around the fact that the God of the universe is so divinely obsessed with you that he didn't just send Jesus to be the God with you, He had Jesus, when Jesus returned to the Father, send the Holy Spirit. The Father sent the Holy Spirit to dwell on the inside of every believer in Jesus. That's how badly he wants to be with you. The only thing better than a God who is for us is a God who is with us. But the only thing better than a God who is with us is a God who wants to live on the inside of us. That is amazing. That is so far beyond what I said to my bride when I proposed to her, when I said, entreat me not to leave you, quoting Ruth, the book of Ruth, entreat me not to leave you. Wherever you go, I'm gonna go. I broke that promise early on when I traveled to one state and she stayed in the state she was in. The God of the universe says to you, uh, you could ask me to leave you, but once you fall in love with me, I want you to know, I chase you everywhere you go. 
I'm in every room you will ever walk into simply waiting for you to enter the room and look at me. I'm just not in every room and following you into every room. I'm making my residence inside of you. That is amazing. He is the God who longs to be with us. And he sent Jesus to remind us of that very fact that that is the cry of God's heart. I want to be with you. That brings us to the last name. And probably the most important prophetic name given to the Savior of the world. It is the name Jesus, Yeshua in Hebrew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 says, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Yeshua means Yahweh saves, God saves. Isn't it amazing that God gave prophetically hundreds of 700 years these names were given before Christ's birth? He said, he will be called God with us and he will be called God saves. The only thing better than a God who is with us and a God who wants to be on the inside of us is a God who comes to rescue us. This name is the most important name. It is the name above every other name. Think about this just practically. It's, it's believed that over 8 billion people throughout history have been followers of Jesus. And many billions more have heard his name. Over 6,000 languages have a translation for the name Jesus. It is the name more well-known on this earth than any other name. Why is that? Because it is the name above them all. God saves. The God who is with us is the God who came to save us. But I want you to see in Philippians chapter 2 what Jesus left behind to come and save you. Starting in verse 6 of Philippians 2, it says, Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. So get the picture there for a moment. Christ is sitting in heaven right next to the Father, equal. He did not think of the fact that, oh, look at this. Look how amazing this is. Look at all that I have. I can't go down there and save her, leave all of this. That's what Philippians 2.6 is saying. Jesus didn't look at his place with the Father and, and see that as a reason not to come and save you. That's a big deal. Look at what verse 7 says. Instead, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. Now think about this. If you were 
a prince or a princess, and you had all of the privileges that come with being the prince of Wales, and someone came to you and said, would you leave all of this for Preston? Trust me, I don't take it offensively. You would say, I'm sorry, no. I would not leave all of this. I know we read Philippians 2 and we just, oh, isn't that sweet? Jesus left some stuff to come rescue me. No, 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 no. The Son of God, sitting at the right hand of the Father, gave all of that up temporarily in a heartbeat because you and I were drowning in our sin. He is the God who came to rescue us. That's why his birth is so beautiful because he never could have died the death I deserved to die had he not first been born of the Virgin Mary. When I think about the God who comes to rescue us, it reminds me of a vacation we were on years ago as a family. We were on an island and Holly and I were sitting on the beach, just enjoying the weather, having one of those silly drinks with an umbrella in the top and the kids were snorkeling and our youngest, Press, uh, just all of a sudden his head started to go into the water. And my first thought was, ah, he'll be fine. He's, he's strong. He's got flippers on. He's got a snorkel. He'll be okay. And so just kind of kept watching, but I wasn't concerned. A minute goes by, and he's still under the water. I thought, well, you know, he, maybe he just held his breath really long, and, you know, he, he sees a turtle down there, and, you know, he's just killing it down there. And so I don't think anything of it. Another minute goes by, and there's no way that he is looking at turtles now. Something is wrong. But I was sitting on the beach, and I had this thought. I looked at my beautiful wife and the silly little drink I was holding with an umbrella in it, and I had the thought, this is such an amazing place. Why would I leave this moment? Press will figure it out. He'll be fine. Okay, as a dad, I can't even take that story any further because you know it's not true. You don't even have to know me personally to know that a daddy who halfway loves his son would never, ever, ever let his child drown. Okay, now I want to speak to those here today who may not know Jesus personally. And you may have convinced yourself of the narrative that God is watching you drown. And I need you to understand, because I may not ever get the chance to talk to you ever again, that Jesus isn't sitting on the beach, sipping out of some umbrella cocktail, looking at everything he has in heaven, going, no, this is too good to come and rescue someone like you. Jesus dropped it all in a heartbeat, and he came chasing after you. And the only reason you feel like you're still drowning is simply because you've yet to say, Jesus, save me. Thanks for joining us today. 
For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.